March 9th, 2022. I'd like to share with you a message tonight on Megillat Esther, a new perspective on Megillat Esther. I called the class Anonymity. Anonymity, of course, not having a name or not mentioning the name. So I want to start with this Gemara in Masech Megillat Daf Yod Amud Bet. Says the Gemara, Ve'hayal Adonai Leshem. It's Pasuk and Sefer Yeshaya. It will be for God as a name, quite literally. Says the Gemara in its Dirasha, with now without fully explaining it at least. Zo Mikra Megillah. It's a reference to Mikra Megillah. Of course, the question is quite clear and apparent. Mikra Megillah. In reference to the name of God, or any name, is a little bit surprising. It is the book in Tanakh that we oftentimes turn to and refer to with regards to the book that doesn't mention the name of God. That's the book that you're referring to when you say, V'hayal Hashem Leshem, it will be for him as a name, Megillat Esther. That's Mikra Megillah, the reading of the Megillah. So that's the question I'd like to tease out a little bit together with you. It reminds me, so to, uh, uh, in a related sense, of the Gemara Masechi Megillah, that's Doresh the Pasuk, that La Yehudim Hayeta Ora, Vesimchan, so forth, Ora Zotorah. The Megillah Tester has, so to speak, a veiled reference to Torah. It's the book in which, as I've mentioned more than once, there is no mention of Torah, there's no mention of mitzvot. There are mention of new mitzvot, what we refer to as mitzvot, and so forth. But ultimately speaking, that's the book in which you find Torah. And the thought, to a certain extent, um, that we'll set forth tonight will dovetail with perhaps an interpretation of that midrash as well. But that's really the question I'd like to address. If you'll take a look at the second source, it's from Maran HaChidar Bihaim Yosef David Azulai in his commentary, Petah Enaim. He writes and asks the obvious question, Kashyale, Delo Nikhtav Shemo Yitbarach Ba Megillah. And so he says, uh, he, he says, the question of the Gemara, hey Norman, the question of the Gemara, the implicit question of the Gemara is that the name of God is not mentioned in Megillah. In other words, his reading of this derasha begins with uh, explaining what the rabbis were bothered by. How could it be that the Pasuk in Yeshaya says it'll be as a name for God if in the book of Megillah, in Megillat Esther, in the book of Esther, there is no mention of God's name? So are we really talking about this eternal mention of God's name? And yet the ironic answer then is, Zomikra Megillah. Well, what does that mean? And he explains, Mishum Dilonigman Mechiat Amalek, Moshe Katav, Rabbi Shalom Al-Kabet, Halevi, Besefer Manot Halevi, Ve'ekiti, Ve'ayala Hashem Leshem. So in, in filling out the question, he explains a little bit further. He says that if you follow Manot Halevi, that's the author of Lecha Dodi, he says the reason God's name isn't mentioned in Lecha Dodi, excuse me, in Megillat Esther, is because Amalek is this eternal reminder that God's name won't be complete. It's a Ma'amar Chachamim commenting on the Pesukim at the end of Parashat Peshalach. And as a result of God's name not being mentioned, the Gemara, so to speak, this Midrash is bothered. So how can God have a name? I thought he doesn't have a full name. A complete name until we destroy Amalek. His suggestion goes ironically. Hi, Adi. That Mikra Megillah, you've gone downstairs for the tea. I thought you forgot where with classes. I saw you. Uh, it says uh, that the, the ironic answer of the Gemara, says Maran HaChida, is 
that the mention of no name of God in Mikra Megillah is the Shevach to God, which is a little bit perplexing as well. Again, the concept goes as follows. The rabbis are bothered. How can God have this eternal name? I thought his name isn't mentioned in Mikra Megillah, in, Me- in Megillah Tese. The answer is, well, you're going to read Megillah, and that will be, so to speak, for him, the Shevach. What I want to tease out is perhaps not a full understanding of Hida's words, but of what it means that when we read Megillah, they say we have some sort of vision and perspective of Shevach, the praise of God, through his name in the ironic omission of any name of God in Megillah, there. And in turn, what sort of message does that have to us? Because it's a well-known fact. Megillah said doesn't mention the name of God. And the generic, generic explanation is Galut. Great. What's that supposed to say to me and you with regards to our own composure, our own approach to life? So what I'd like to do now is to take a step backward and to analyze from afar and then from up close Megillah there. And what I'd like to notice and to pay careful attention to is the mention of names in Megillah there. That's what I want to do. The mention of names and in contrast, the very few omission of names. And if you've ever given any thought to it, and in the past I had not until a few days ago, you'd notice that Megillat Esther is so filled in this uh, excessive way with names. Names of all kinds, names of all types, names that have, if I were to write the book or to envision the book pretty much anywhere else in Tanakh, Lots of names that I wouldn't imagine would be necessarily mentioned. And I'd like to give you a vision and perspective of those and in turn reflect perhaps, or in turn to suggest this is a reflection of the kingdom of Persia, of Parasu Madai, which keeps some sort of message internally. Well, here it is. Ve'hakarov elav. So what takes place at the end of Perek Aleph, the first uh, excessive mention of names is when Ahashverosh is uncertain what to do with Vashti. Here is Vashti, doesn't show up to the Mishteh after he summons her, after he requests her presence, and he turns to his lawmakers. Who are they? My answer first, who cares? And if you have an answer, I'd like to hear it, because maybe you'll answer the question as to why the Megillah wastes, quote-unquote, a whole pasuk to telling us the names of his Lawmakers, Karshena, Shetar, Admata, Tarshish, Meres, Marcena, Memuchan. Who cares? First of all, I didn't care that there are seven of them. Second of all, even if I do care for some reason that there are seven of them, I certainly don't care about their names. Maybe there's some veiled message with regards to their names. You'd have to imagine there are going to be people who will explain that. The Hachamim are not on top of that. It's almost as if there's just this. Unnecessary mention of names, certainly in Peshat and Pesukim. Go ahead. On Peshat level, keep in mind that Megillah was written with an eye towards the Persians being okay with it. So maybe they have to give props to the right people, you know. And this is an eternal props to the, to the people of Persia in order to get acceptance from them. Okay, could be. Will you be able to pull that off with every other reference of name? If you can, I'll give it to you. I have a little bit of a different time. And, and, and you might be right. Uh, hang on. I, I mean, the question is, if it's these guys, so they're very important people, I'll give it to you. The problem is, what about, what's that? Uh, 
well, he goes with one of them. He goes with the lowest of them, the Memuchan, which of course the Chachamim get all excited about. Can you imagine the audacity of this Memuchan, whom they envision as Haman? He's the lowest of the seven. He's the youngest of the Supreme Court. He's the one who jumps and gives his, but he does, he does listen to one of them. Um, I, but if it is the Supreme Court, I hear Eddie's claim. So you mention the Supreme Court names because you want acceptance in the Persian kingdom. Uh, you know, I, I could be wrong. I would imagine the lowlifes of this kingdom are the Shomer Bet HaNashim and the Shomer HaPilagshim, the person who safeguards the home or the area where the women who are going to sleep in their one night stand with the king and the person who's going to safeguard the Pilagshim, the concubines of the king after their one night stand. Well, and yet... But do, oh, so, we, so we're not going to call out the lowlifes. Very nice. The problem is, Eddie, El Bet Hanashim Eliad Hegeseris HaMelech. We know his name. And it's not mentioned once, mentioned three times. And then, afterwards, I'm sorry if you'll skip to, where's Shashkaz? I lost the lost Shashkaz. Shashkaz should be right there. Where it is? Bet Yodal, if you skip to Pesukim Da Ba'ed, if he ba'au, ba'boke he shava, El Bet Hanashim Sheni Eliad Shashkaziris HaMelech. You know, are these names necessary? No, it's, it's I don't know. It's, I, has Shalom, are we getting paid by the word? Is this a Charles Dickens word? Why, why do we need to know their names? Why is Mickey Lattis there so obsessed with them? It's not only those. You'd say, oh, so no, it's only the Persians. Not only the Persians. Ish Yehudi Hayah B'Shushan Abira Pasu, Perk Bet Pasuke, Ushmo Mordechai. All right, I got his name, is Mordechai. Ben Yair, I got his father's name. Ben Shema'i, Ben Kish, Ish I need his father, his grandfather. Maybe there's something there. Uh, you don't really get that all the time in Torah and Nevim and Ketubin. I said, what? What's that? Yehuz is always important, and of course the contrast to Esther who doesn't have it. However, perhaps one generation would have been sufficient. Maybe a mention at the end, as we have in Megillat Ruth. You don't get the lineage throughout. You get the necessary lineage mentioned at the end. Is there a necessary lineage in this context aside from some hard? Maybe. Again, you might have an answer to each. The conglomerate of all these mentions and the striking omission of others and the ironic satire of some of these, I think, I could be wrong, will be telling. All right, then you have the name of the book. And I don't say that pun intended. I say that very much pun intended. The name of our book is Migilat Esther. There's no questioning that. That's the name that ultimately speaking is the enduring name. That ultimately speaking is the hero of the book, Esther. Not really Mordechai. Mordechai emerges as her tool. She emerges as the hero. What do we know about Esther? Who's that? He Esther Batodo. So potentially, this is a discussion in the Gemara, potentially her name isn't even Esther. Esther is this hidden nature of her. Potentially her name is Hadassah. Or it's Esther, she's got two names. But there's, there's, there's a problem over here. We're talking about the person that, in the scheme of things, we know is the most significant one, and we don't actually know her name. She's Hadassah, he Esther. Is it a nickname? Doesn't sound like it. And Esther, certainly in Hebrew, is Seter. She's related to him. So it means the most critical person in the book is going to lack all the Yehus, the names connected 
to her. That's already telling. The contrast is already striking. But she really does. Not in our book. That's what I want from our book. I, that, that's uh, effectively I'm going to go strictly Pishat. I, I hope you can indulge me for a moment or two on that. I, I started with Midrash though. All right, now I bring you to uh, really one of my favorites with regards when, when, when I realized this, the whole thought really crystallized for me. And I bring you to the end of Perik Bet. It's the end of Perik Bet, a well-known uh, uh, specific detail in this storyline. There are these two bad guys. Biktan and Teresh, who cares about their names? I don't know the name of the Sarha Mashkim or the Sarha Ufim in the story of Yosef, and yet over here I need to know their names. Uh, it's, it's a similar storyline. It's two people who are suspected and perhaps uh, ultimately speaking convicted over here, but suspected of doing wrong to the king. And here, in direct and stark contrast to the story of Yosef. We know their names, okay. And Mordechai comes to the rescue. Mordechai somehow knows their plan to kill, to go after the king. And he tells Esther, and of course, Esther goes, Vatomer Esther, in the second line in the middle, Lamelech Beshem Mordechai. She goes and she tells the king in the name of Mordechai. And in our realization of names and our, uh, our, our sensitivity to names, you're looking at me and you're saying, you see, Rabbi, you were wrong all along. Now, Rari, you were claiming that names are somehow insignificant. That's a very significant detail, is it not? The fact that she says it in the name of Mordechai, isn't that going to be the game changer? And the answer is absolutely not. Peregimah, the next pasuk. That means that immediately after, or after, and we're connecting it to what took place beforehand, of Esther reporting in the name of Mordechai that he saved the life of Ahashverosh, we're expecting that to make a difference. His name was mentioned. It made zero, zero difference. It helped Mordechai nothing. So says Ralph, in the scheme of things, it ultimately speaking brings Mordechai up, but it doesn't even. But it doesn't if even. Man, if a man abducts your wife and is raping her, you're going to find out he's going to get murdered. Do you say anything? I, I don't understand. I'm going to tell you, answer your question. What oh. am I saying If he finds out that his wife is being raped every night by this man, he's going to be murdered. Would you say anything or let him be murdered? Got it. Okay, so but now I'm not going to take this in my control. I'm going to pass it over to my wife to make this decision. Understood. Not my issue. My issue is I'm focusing on where the names are being mentioned. And the name is mentioned over here. Is that a significant detail? The rabbis say, absolutely not. The rabbis say, Any person mentions something in the name of... Yani, if you don't plagiarize, you're bringing redemption to the world. What's the proof from over here? It's crazy proof. Seriously? This didn't bring Geulalaolam. What did this bring to? If anything, it was ignored initially, and ultimately speaking, it brought, brought a parade through the streets before he was going to be killed, Mordechai, literally. I mean, you have to, you have to put yourself in the, in the mind of Haman. Yes, it's uh, a little bit uh, debasing as you're walking through the streets uh, and carrying Mordechai and saying, but in the back, in the front of your mind, all right, one last thing, I'm, I'm hanging him tomorrow. 
He literally was hanging him tomorrow. This did not change anything, which is a separate question. And I, I have some theories and something to say about that. Why is that a necessary detail? But the short answer is it's not. And the mention of saying it in the name of Mordechai, I think, is teasing us. This kingdom has emerged as everything's about my name. Everything's about whose name is attached to this. Mordechai, your name's attached to it. And immediately thereafter, we find, and that meant nothing. But the ex post facto goes to the same non In other words, the ex post facto of Nazadash Nafamela goes back to this. If, that, if this wasn't here, how do you connect that back to this? You are right. You are right, and it's a necessary detail in the scheme of things in the story. Number one, I think it's already in the storyline staring at you and saying, wasn't all that significant. Number two, I'm asking you in the whole Venahapochu if it was actually that significant. How much did it actually save him or them? And I don't think the answer is, is that it did. Maybe it gave a little courage to Esther. We already saw a tide changing, but ultimately speaking, it doesn't do all that much. And in the kingdom of Ahasuerus, we're expecting it to do a lot. Listen, I have no, I have no way of knowing, but I could speculate that had that whole thing not taken place, and Esther meets with Ahasuerus together with Haman the next day. And she says, Ish sar ve'oyev, this Haman harasha hazeh, Zorera Yehudim, is interested in killing my people, Hashverosh would still be interested in killing him. Wasn't Mordechai really supposed to be killed that morning before the second mission? And it was held off because of this? Because of the writing on the streets. I mean, because Haman didn't have a ch- because Haman didn't have a chance to report it to the king. Right. Right. I, I understand. Why are you here? But we don't know that he would have been up anyway. Right. Or, or, maybe. So maybe. Think the first party got Ahasuerus thinking that maybe Haman. I do, I accept. So I'm just so saying. I'm just saying. You're too far from me. I'm just saying that the Vatomer Esther Lamelch Beshem Mordechai does not, maybe in the Venahapohu, it does affect the change. Certainly in the short run, it does not. And that's already teasing with our minds as we're reading this book and saying, are names significant or not? Maybe in the scheme of things, it does somehow help. But at this juncture, we're like, I don't know, I'm confused about this names business. We read, what, is, what are we reporting over here? This is the letter that's being sent out from Haman to destroy at all the Jews, and the Pasuk says it's written Be Shem HaMelech. That's very significant. It's in the name of the king. How significant is that? So you say, very significant. It's in the name of the king. Do you understand what that means? No, tell me what that means. Megillah tells us what that means. It'll tell us later on in Perik Ha'et, Pasuk Ha'et, that it's very significant. If it's written in the name of the king, let me tell you the significance. When you write something in the name of the king, you can't take it back. Ki, 
Shiv, if you wrote it in the name of the king and he sent it out in his kingdom, you can't rescind, you can't take it back. Pause for a second. So, there was a decree in the name of the king to destroy all the Jews, right? You can't take that back unless you wrote another letter in the name of the king. It means that writing in the name of the king in the scheme of things means absolutely nothing. For as much focus as we're going to have in this kingdom and as much respect as we're going to pay to names and we're going to continuously mention these names as if they matter, we're going to constantly, at least I am, scratch our head and say, but does it actually matter? And it doesn't seem to, so, seem to be so. She sends to find out what Mordechai is doing and she sends a messenger. Do I care about the name of that messenger? Should I care about that messenger? I know, Ralph, it was Daniel. Very nice. If it wasn't Daniel, or if that's not what it means, or if the rabbis could have figured out it was Daniel, even with the, Why do I care that his name was Atah? Because in Paras, we care about names. Do names actually matter? Does not seem to be so. Esther, the nameless individual, will have the book named after her. She'll be the hero, the one without a name. And then Mordechai turns to Esther in that fateful turning point moment and says to her, And the best guess as to our God-fearing Mordechai's reference over here of Makom Acher is none other than Hamakom, a reference to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and yet he does not and will not mention his name, which means to say the second time we are confident that some being, be it Esther, be it together with God or just God, whoever it is that ultimately speaking is powering the redemption over here, we assume it's the two of them, neither one of them have their name actually written all over this book. And everyone else, including Mordechai, has his name everywhere. And everyone's name is being mentioned. But the only ones who are being effective are the ones whose names are being held back. Let me ask you a question. What was Lot's wife's name? She's a very significant character. She turns into a pillar of salt. What was her name? What was Lavan's wife's name? She must have played some role. What was Betuel's wife's name? What was Paro's wife's name? We don't know the name of anyone, and sometimes we even refer to their wives, but we don't talk about their name, and yet in Megillat Esther we talk about Zeresh, and everybody knows the name Zeresh. Who cares about the name Zeresh? Really, why do I care about Zeresh? And then we finally find out that Esther confronts Hashverosh, exposes Haman, and there's a minister there who suggests that he be hanged on the tree, that he prepared for Mordechai, and his name, and we sing it every year, who cares that his name was Harvona? Who cares about the name of any of these people? You can and will find a significance to each one of them, which is great, but it's so different than everywhere else in our Torah. If you don't do this, you're losing your chance. That is the message. Ralph, here's the way I would say it to you. It, or to, to my Esther, to my daughter. If I found my daughter in this situation, I would say, Esther, let me tell you something. If you don't step up right now, you should know. Hashem, I would probably say God, God is going to pull this off, whether you want it or not, and you're going to go down. That's what I would say. 
It's not what Mordechai says to her. Mordechai says, You can't just mention God's name. You can't just say something related to directly God. It has to be veiled. And Migilat Esther is telling you, yeah, it's got to be veiled. Because names in Migilat Esther seem to be manipulated wrongfully. So the opposite extreme is employed with regards to teaching a lesson about names. And that is that names as significant and as power-driven uh, as they appear to be in this kingdom, in the scheme of things, we look back at them and we laugh. And we say, it's, it's, it, they're not that, that significant. You wouldn't say God's going to do it in one place. Because the whole point of this thing is the whole point is from the beginning of the book, Miguelite said, what was the end of miracles? Miguelite said, the end of miracles. So you're not going to mention God's name because that's going to... That's going to indicate a miracle to you. So you wouldn't say that to your daughter. I would. I have to say. If you want to keep this away from a miracle status as much as possible. And right. say that it's going to come from a Chumachet. And going to say it's going to be running through, through the Kaaba of time. Oh, what did he mean in that word, Makomachet? From another place. First of all, okay. he's not really saying these things. It's being prophesied. Oh, oh. a slant to say, I want to keep this book in the star, oh. so I want to give it a theme. All so they're not really saying these things. Jack, all understood. I hope your children aren't in Shidduchim. I'm just warning. But I, uh, all understood. All understood. But I'm just, I'm just uh, all understood. But, but, I, but I don't, I, I, so what? The point is, as it's being written, ultimately speaking, ultimately speaking, this is the way they're presenting it to us. They're presenting it to you for a theme to, to teach you something that it's God was uh, the invisible hand actor. Right. And is that all it is? Because I think there's more to it than that. Because I think the message with regards to human, it, it's not only the way we were taught always and thought of this as the Yad Hashem Hanistar or Hanisteret. It's furthermore the human beings who are Nistar. Because all the human beings who are Nigla. That's right. Jack. Izevel plays a role. She's not a. She's, she does things. Zeresh gives advice. Lot's wife turns around. Those are not significant characters. Bigtan and Teresh. Saramashkim Sarafim. I mean, I could, we really could go through each one of these and find parallels. Uh, when Yosef is looking for his brothers, he finds an Ish Basadeh. Uh, similar, not identical to our Hatach. The Ish doesn't get a name. We postulate that it's Malach. Uh, this one gets a name. His name's Hatach. Every single one of these we can find almost identical parallels. And every other time we don't care about their names. It's a that in Paras, the vision is that names make the person. Megillat Esther's statement is quite the opposite. The names will not bring you much. The essence will bring you it all. That's what's taking place here. Very possibly. Very possibly. Migdal Bavel is Naaseh Lanushem, whereas Abraham is going to achieve it from Va'agadela Shemech. And the more you're... Ch- on the Ma'amar Chachamim, you're chasing after the name, the name is going to run from you. Very big importance on names. When we count, we, don't, we only count. We do, we do, because names. Names, 
potential into who you are. Name might be identity, name might be potential, and as a result, we do and should care about having a good name. There's a difference. Your name can describe, in your words, potential, can describe my identity. The question is how I exert that. Do I live up to my identity and my potential through action, through meaningful uh, the, uh, activities in life, or do I alternatively proclaim my name and mention my name and have my name plastered in any and every circumstance that I can find. That's the difference. This book is not turning to us and saying, so your name doesn't mean anything. What the book is saying is, the more you care about the externalities of name, the projection of your name, that's where your downfall comes. Do this, what? That's what I said. If, that, if she said no, what if I, I'm not going in. I don't care what you said. You're still stuck on that one. The answer, of course, is no. So there is no name. The name wouldn't exist. So we're talking about people creating a name for themselves. Through not using names. Yes. No question. I'm not sure exactly what detail we're stuck on over here. But what I can tell you is Esther does it without name. That's all I'm telling you. She does it without her name being plastered. She does it, Mordechai does it, without a mention of God. That's the point. Nothing more, nothing she less. come into it with a sense of importance because of her name. That's what we're saying, right? She, that she is correct. Her name through what she does. Names, to the extent that Megillah has a polemic on names, we unnecessarily list ten men who are the sons of Haman who were all hanged. And if you read the Megillah, it appears as if names are being hanged on a page. That's what's happening. We read it all maybe in one breath, but vet parshandata, vet talfon, vet aspat, oh, all names and all hanged. That's our punchline. The punchline is names are hanged. Megillah says the hanging of names. That's what's happening here. And what's enduring? The, an- the anonymous, the anonymity. That, that's what happens throughout, to the extent that it's not only a mention, uh, a, a, a lesson of hester panim. It's a lesson of vehalachta uh, bidrachav. It's a lesson of imitatio dei, of how we compose and comport ourselves in this world when we envision God's ways, when we understand, quote, that hidden name of God in this world. It's the Gemara in Masechet Pesachim along the lines of God's name, the Gemara in Masechet Pesachim, which cites this pasuk from Zechariah, and the future, his name will be one. Ask the Gemara on both parts. On the, on the one hand, um, is God not one now? So the Gemara in terms of our perspective, we sometimes don't envision his entity, his essence as one. Wrongfully so, but certain things appear to be objectively bad and others objectively good. We say hatov on good things. We say dayan ha'emet on bad things. In future, we'll say hatov on all. We'll transcend that temporality of humanity and understand things from a, uh, from, from a further, uh, further vision and understanding of how we can see it all as top. But the Gemara continues and it says, but the Pasuk also says that his name will be one. Is his name not one now? Says the Gemara, you should know. When we refer to God's name today and we read it, Yod ke Vav ke, we don't read those words. It might be Asur to be Mivate. In the Chilek says the Mishnah on Dafsadi in Sanhedrin. And what do we read it as instead? Adni. Amonai, that's what we read it as. As the Gemara today, we don't read Yodke Vavke. His name, although written, is not read out loud. We don't read God's name. 
in the future his name will be read. Which means to say life as you and I know it is one in which God's name is not uttered out loud. What is uttered out loud? A different one of his names. That is correct. That it's not said out loud now. No, I think we could still read it. Yod ke vavke can be read, but we're not allowed to. By the way, the best sorry, maybe you're going there. Go ahead. You're saying that one person who gets a name out of all this is, who's one, you just said, right? That's there. Of course. Her name is Amanis. Of course, is said Of course. Of course. I said it. I'll say it again out loud. Of course. Anonymity. It's the whole point. But again, the vision of life as we know it in this world is one in which God's exposure is quote unquote concealed. It's concealed to the extent that we can read his name. We can see it with our eyes, but we won't express it with our mouth. Mikra Migilah in turn. Mikra Migilah expressing the name of God. We began with that source. V'haya l'adonai l'shem. How are you going to find the name of God? So Mikra Migilah. Mikra Migilah. That Gemara Masech Migilah and Dafyod. The first source on the page. Mikra Migilah is the name of God. Yeah, it's the same way that when you read Yod Kevavke and you say something else, so too, when you read Megillah, you're reading God's name while saying something else. You're finding the anonymity of God through it all. That's what I believe is that reference of the Hachamim. It's such a real message with regards to who we are and how we express ourselves. Is the person that we're striving to become, is our success measured by the name that we've established in that external way? Or is it through a, a composure and an exposure, which is one in which we conceal that name, where the name is not the significant part, the actions that underlie it are, the Esther personality, as opposed to everyone and anything that surrounds her. In Pahad Yitzhak and Purim, that's uh, Rav Yitzhak Hutner and his Inyan Lamid Gimal, I've mentioned this on many occasions, I love this piece. He deals with the following, the Gemara Masechet Megillah, the Gemara Masechet Arachin, mentions how uh, it's strange that on Purim we don't read Halil. Gemara has several suggestions as to why. The one that ultimately speaking is the most famous one, Harambam mentions in Perigimah of Hilchot Hanukkah, is that Kiriyata Zohi Helela, which means to say that reading the Megillah, quote unquote, is the Halel. Now the question is the following, for argument's sake, if Purim falls out on Shabbat, should we say Halel? We're not reading Megillah, but it is Purim, maybe we should say Halel. Alternatively, you're stuck on a stranded island, you don't have a Megillah, you don't know the Megillah, you're not able to read Megillah, should you say Halel? Says Mi'iri, one of the uh, great uh, medieval Provencal rabbis, he says, absolutely, the Halakha in such a circumstance is, Kiryat Megillah takes the place of Halel. So if you don't have Megillah, you say Halel. Says Rav Hunna, but that's not the Halakha. We don't do that. Nobody ever says Halel. It's unheard of. It's unprecedented. There's no such thing as saying Halel on Purim. We don't say it. Says Rav Hunna, why not? So he suggests the following. He says, Halel is an exposed thankfulness and praise of God. We do that for exposed miracles and actions and activities of God in this world. Megillah, which is concealed 
as a result, the way that we praise God and we give him that shevach v'hoda'ah is in a concealed fashion as well, which means that Megillah is purposefully the concealed Hallel. You can't do a revealed Hallel, it would be inappropriate to the miracle of Purim. I'm saying to you, that's the whole point of Purim. Purim is all about doing things, expressing yourself without the revelation while doing it in a concealed fashion. It's so inappropriate to scream out praise of God in a public and direct fashion when you're recalling a story which very much highlights and stresses to us, it's not about that exposure. It's about concealing that name, very much in contrast to the bombastic, exposed uh, the culture and, 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 uh, and civil, civilization of, of, of Paras Umadai. That, I think, is very much, again, in line with what this holiday, what this book is all about. I mentioned... Concealing with the appropriate exposure at the end. It's not to keep concealed forever. The exposure just comes. Esther does not need to, at any point, expose beyond what will happen. She says that Haman is after my nation. Ironically, even in that moment, I want you to know, at least the way the Megillah writes it, she doesn't even say, I am a Yehudi. Right? It's an amazing thing. Twice we're told that. And then at the critical moment, the way we always say is she finally reveals who she is. She doesn't. She literally, according to the text, says, Haman is after my nation. So that means you are, fill in the blanks, Ahashverosh. It's an amazing thing. Even in that moment, she doesn't actually conceal. She doesn't actually reveal. There's a, one of my favorite authors, and I forgot to bring the book I said earlier, is Oliver Sacks. Oliver Sacks, at the end of his life, he passed away just a couple of years ago. He was starting to get depressed. He was an old school person in many ways. He loved books very much, and he was against this whole culture of, uh, of, ex- of, of revelation, of exposure in the world. He was against social media. He was against cell phones. He was against a lot of this sort of stuff. Old school, certainly, but in his expression of what was bothering him, yeah, I guess he was getting cranky at the end, but in his expression, he writes, it's, again, it's, it's published posthumously in, in, in this book of his, uh, Everything in Its Place. He wrote the following, for example, everything is public now, potentially. One's thoughts, one's photos, one's movements, one's purchases. There's no privacy and, apparent, and apparently little desire for it in a world devoted to nonstop use of social media. Every minute, every second has to be spent with one's device clutched in one's hands. He talks about how we have the amenities and achievements of civilization and, and as a result, we forfeited solitude and leisure and the, and, and the sanction to be oneself. His suggestion is that we've given up on the ability to express ourselves because we're so interested in who we are to the other. It's very much the vision of Parasumadai, and he's seeing it, I don't know if you are, through the lenses of life today, a life in which what we're nervous about and obsessed with is the way others perceive my name is a world of parasumadai, a world alternatively in which my actions, my deeds, my ways can speak for themselves, is the message of Migilat Esther. It was a, uh, a, a motif of Rabbi Salvechik. He writes about it in several places. One of them here is on the page in front of you. In Abraham's journey, he writes, however, on page 174 to 175, and this demonstrates the great divide between us and others. We have very little biographical information, information about our great men. 
I'm not talking only about those who lived thousands of years ago, like the prophet Yeshaya, Yehezkel ben Buzi, the Kohen, Rabban Yohanan ben Zakkai, Rabbi Yoshua ben Hananya, but even the great men who lived in the 18th century, like the Gaon of Vilna and Rabbi Chaim of Velazhin. I'll go further. You know how we're very interested in talking about the rabbis of Halab of 150 years ago? You know why we're really obsessed with that today? Because we don't know anything about them. Why don't we know anything about them? The answer is because Judaism has never been interested in bio biographies. We've never done it. It is a very, very new phenomenon, not in the world, but in Judaism. The little, we know, uh, the little we know about them is known to us only by accident. For example, a chance fact in one of the responses that cast light on their private life. That's how we learn about the Gidolim of previous generations, about the, about the Tanaim, about the Emoraim, about the Nivim. They appear to us anonymously, like mute figures without a name or a time frame. Who were the Anshei Knesset HaGedolah who saved our people from disappearing? I mean, this is an amazing fact. Anshei Knesset HaGedolah, the Gemara, speaks glowingly about them. Here is the body of 120 men who got together, established um, tefillah, berachot, and so much of the traditions that we have today came from this body of people during our second return to Israel. Tell me who they were. He says, we know about three of them. We know Ezra, Nehemiah, and then we know Shimon HaSadik Hayamishiris Knesset HaGedola. One second. 120 of them, and these are the guys, and the Gemara says, they restored Judaism, they saved it. And we, we lit, who were, he says as well, who were the Hasidim Rishonim? The Mishnah, the, the Masechet Berachot talks about these Hasidim Rishonim. They used to stop an hour before Tefillah and an hour after Tefillah in order to have the proper contemplation during Tefillah. That means nine hours of their day were, at least if the Tefillah was just an hour, whatever, were dedicated to just preparation and post-game to Tefillah. That's six hours of their day. And then Tefillah says the Gemara, how were they successful? Effectively, the Gemara says, because they were Hasidim Rishonim, which means to say that we should know something about them. What were their names? Hasidim Rishonim. Who were were they? Hasidim Rishonim. Can you tell me? Hasidim Rishonim. Who were the Sofrim? The Gemara Masechet Kiddushin talks about the Sofrim. They used to count all the letters and Pesukim in the Torah. And the Gemara goes on to give examples of who these people were. They were proficient in every letter, every, every word, every sentence of the Torah. What were their names? Sofrim. Uh, tell me something about Sofrim. That's it. Who were the Bnei Hanivim? B'nei Hanivim are who Elishat turns to uh, when he's searching for, for his master Eliyahu, who seems to have uh, absconded. Oh, he turns to these B'nei Hanivim, the Chachamim say there were thousands of them. What are their names? One of them. B'nei Hanivim. It was insignificant and there was a point in Jewish and Torah history and Israel history to hide names of individuals because that was never the point. It was always about anonymity. The Mishnah says that by right, no name should be mentioned in the last sentence, in the last paragraph should have been mentioned and the opinions it records should have all been anonymous. It's Mishnayot and Masechet Eduyot. The Mishnayot say, you're not supposed to, Alpidin, we shouldn't have had in our Mishnayot any names. We should have just mentioned Halachot. So why do we mention the names? Says, says the Mishnah afterwards, Rabbi Salavetcha quotes it, in order for us to determine the law accordingly, we need to know which one's the majority opinion, which is the minority opinion, and in turn, we'll be able to determine the halakhas like this one as opposed to that one. But we didn't need to mention the names. It means fundamentally, we're being told, if not for this generalization, we would not know any of our rabbis by name. His suggestion, and it's and it seems pretty, pretty clear, is the Mishnah is telling us the only reason the names are being mentioned is for a practical, pragmatic reason. There's, what's that? So then you won't be able to appreciate the opinion. 
That's right. It's only for our way of interpreting what they're saying. Had I not had that necessity, I would not have mentioned the name. The message again being one of how Torah, how Yisrael has thrived and has consistently and constantly strived to, toward anonymity. The Book of Esther, I think, is the greatest example of such. The Book of Esther, not only as we've always been told and realized, has a concealed name of God, it has very few concealed names, one and only being Esther. And yet all the other names, which obsessively we are told about and reminded about, and if you think Hege was just mentioned one, he mentioned three times, and Sha'ashgaz, and Hatach, and Vezata, and Karshena, and Meres, and Marcena. What is the necessity of all these names? They are there to foil the significant character, and she's one, Esther, or characters, and there too, Esther and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Migilat Esther, then the book of Hester, the book of, of, of concealment, the book uh, in which we don't expose, is not only about God's presence, it's a message to each of us, it's in an, in, in an era, in a time in which it's all about branding, it's all about who we are to others, it's all about everything people know about me, Migilat Esther is that humble, and trenchant reminder to each of us the significance that each of us will have in life is not by the name that we've proclaimed and publicized to others, but rather the one that might come along as Abraham had it with Va'agadela Shemecha, as Esther had it in Migilat Esther, just by means of and by virtue of deeds and proper activities and directions that you've set forth in life. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.